want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Psalm 41, or in your metrical Psalters, you can turn there as well. It's not quite the same translation, or that close to one as you would find in one of the modern translations here. I'll be using the English Standard Version here. We will be paying attention to the Lord's Word in Psalm 41 this afternoon. The book of Psalms is divided into five major sections, uh, each uh, ending in an ascription of praise to the Lord. And so, as is often called, book one of the Psalms ends with the last verse of Psalm 41, which we'll get to here today. Uh, The other books, in case you're curious, uh, are the uh, Psalms 42 through 72, 73 through 89, 90 through 106, and 107 through 150. Uh, So these are three books, or three, or rather five books, or five divisions, if you will, of the book of Psalms. It's often thought that the Psalms were divided this way from a very early time, that this, because this was meant to reflect the five books of Moses. Uh, That's not to say that any particular theme in those psalms corresponds to Genesis in book 1 or to Exodus in book 2 or anything like that. It's not quite that one-for-one of a sort of thing. But it is just that there are five major sections of the psalms and that this reflects that there were five books given by God originally to Moses. The 41st psalm, which ends that first section of the psalms, uh, begins with the caption to the choir master, a psalm of David. Uh, that tells us, number one, David wrote the psalm. And he wrote it with public worship in mind. Uh, David wrote lots of psalms, as we've noted before, that uh, are included in the Psalter, that were there uh, collected at God's inspiration for the public worship of God's people. But some of them David had in mind from the time that he uh, sat down. I'm penning this in particular for public worship. And those are the ones that it will say to the choir master at the beginning. And so as we've noted before, uh, remember David was told when he said, I will build a temple for the Lord. He was told, no, you won't do that, but your son will. And David began to lay up materials for that temple and began to make musical instruments at God's command that would be used in that temple. And also he began writing more psalms to be used in that temple worship. And this would be one of them. As we make our way through the psalm, uh, we'll see that the Holy Spirit inspired it to point to Jesus Christ, who would fulfill it. Though no doubt there were particular applications for David in David's own life as he wrote the psalm. Verses 1 through 3 extol the blessedness of being compassionate. Verses 4 through 10 appeal for the Lord's help against adversaries. Verses 11 and 12 proclaim God's vindication of his servant. And then verse 13 is the ascription of praise, a benediction, if you will, which uh, naturally follows uh, such, or a doxology, I should say, which uh, follows this, this uh, ascription of praise, naturally follows the vindication that David sings about here. And so that that uh, uh, doxology uh, concludes the first major section of the Psalms. So first let's consider the blessedness of being compassionate in verses 1 through 3. David writes, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. 
In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. And of course, such blessings, like being protected by God, even having uh, restoration of health after illnesses, things like that, these are, uh, are being done, David notes, because particularly of compassion. And that kind of blessing, if you and I receive that, as we are compassionate and the Lord blesses us for it, uh, as we consider the poor, as we care for the needy, uh, that's, that's a true blessing from the Lord. But think of how Jesus showed perfect compassion. Certainly, Jesus considered the poor. He considered the needy. But he especially considered those who were spiritually needy and weak. He raised them up from their spiritual sickbed, as it were. He went through a great day of trouble, but was ultimately delivered in his resurrection. And so we can trust him to deliver us, ultimately, from our day of trouble. So that's the first little section of this psalm. The next section, verses 4 through 10, appeal to the Lord for help against adversaries. David writes in verse 4, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. That uh, verb, heal me there, that request, heal me, is literally, heal my soul. David and you and I have sinned against God. We need the healing of our soul. We are broken in our self-identity, in who we are. And we need that, that brokenness that came from our fall into sin to be healed. Now Jesus did not have such brokenness. He's sinless. But he took our sins upon himself. And he makes this appeal on our behalf. Heal me for I have sinned against you. He was counted as a sinner. Even as sin itself for our sakes. As he goes on in the psalm. As David goes on in the psalm. As the Holy Spirit inspires to speak here about Christ in the psalm. We see enemies also malign God's people. They do it today as they did in David's day. But in his earthly ministry... And especially in his final trial and sufferings, we see, as we read the Gospels, how the next words apply so well to Jesus. Starting at verse 5 and reading through verse 8. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? We can't wait to get rid of this guy. And Think of all the plotting against Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. Then verse 6, And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. So they're gossiping about him. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, A deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Think of how Jesus' enemies did that to him. They plotted his death, even while uttering empty words both in terms of their vain arguments against him or their pretense that he was a good teacher, the false accusations they made about him. All of those were empty words. And they were sure, once they had him there, 
uh, on trial, once they had him especially convicted under the Romans, once he was nailed to that cross, that they had their victory. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise from where he lies. They'd even gotten one of his closest companions to betray him. As David poetically foretold in verse 9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. To lift the heel against someone was a a Hebrew expression that means that you've betrayed someone. You've turned against someone. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Judas fulfilled that. One of Jesus' closest companions, one of the twelve, He ate his bread with Jesus. He ate Jesus' bread with him all the time. He even was present at the Lord's Supper, at the institution of that sacrament. And then he went forth and betrayed Jesus. A close friend who ate his bread, lifted his heel against him. And of course, the enemies thought, as we saw in verse 8, this deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise from where he lies. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He did rise from where he was laid low. In fact, he laid down his own life. It wasn't that someone took it from him, as he told his disciples. No one would take his life from him, but he would lay it down for his sheep. He would give it up for his sheep. And we read in the Gospels that when it came to the time for Jesus to die on the cross, he didn't die when man thought he would die. He gave a loud cry. He had great strength, even though he should have been very weak on the cross. And he yielded up his own spirit. He determined the point of his own death. Not man. And so then in verse 10, we see the prediction of Jesus' resurrection. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. Jesus was raised up. He predicted and accomplished his own resurrection. He said he would lay down his life and take it up again. And of course, he did vindicate himself. There was a repayment. His judgment did come upon Jerusalem. And he was vindicated in his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his seating at the right hand of God the Father. And we'll see that predicted in the verses to come here. But he was, of course, vindicated in his repayment as he poured out judgment on Jerusalem within the lifetime of that generation that put him to death. We see predicted in verses 11 and 12, though, his ascension and his seating at the right hand of God. Verse 11, starting there. By this I know you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. So they thought they could, but that didn't last long. Then verse 12, But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. So Jesus has been raised up. He's been upheld in his integrity. He's been shown to be the righteous one of God by his resurrection, indeed, as was predicted, your Holy One would not see corruption. And then he ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's what's technically called his ascension and his session. Seating at the right hand of the Father. He will be in the presence of God forever. And because Christ Jesus accomplished this, 
you and I and David can trust that we will be in God's presence forever as well. Thanks to Christ, we also can say we will be vindicated. We will be upheld in not our personal integrity, but the integrity that God gives us through His sanctifying power. And then we can be set in His presence forever. And so that drives us then to the final verse of this psalm. Along with Christ, as Christ set the example, as we see in verse 13, we can praise the Lord. Verse 13, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Eternally may God be blessed. Amen and amen. And so I invite you now to turn in your Psalters to Psalm 41b, and we'll sing the rest of Psalm 41 as we sing the Word of God in praise of God. Again, Psalm 41, Selection B.